educate, empower, elevate. Welcome to the Peak RFP Podcast. Welcome to the Peak RFP Podcast. We're back today with the crew. We're going to talk about patellar instability. Uh, so we're going to want to welcome back in Caleb Van and Dr. Wilson. So welcome back. Yeah, it was always a pleasure to be on, guys. Thanks All for right. having me. Okay, so today we're talking about patellar instability and uh, kind of how we handle that initially, what kind of how we're going to make a diagnosis, maybe what kind of imaging we're going to get, and then also maybe how we're going to treat that conservatively. So, Dr. Wilson, let's just start with talking about what patellar instability is, how do we define it, uh, and then we'll move into some uh, anatomy discussion about this as well. So let's talk about kind of how do we define patellar instability. Sure. So patellar instability, at least for me, is when the normal structures and with the patella, it's usually primarily soft tissue structures, are now incompetent either because of an injury or because of uh, an anatomical problem that basically leads to a patella that's not tracking correctly. So let me ask the first question, what's the patella? <laughs> that's the kneecap. <laughs> Always good to define that also. Yeah. So yes, kneecap, patella, interchangeable. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's keep going on that patellar instability. So um, what what are some of the, the anatomical or what's the anatomy around the kneecap look like and, and how does that contribute to instability there? Sure. So it starts off with the fact that the patella femoral joint or the kneecap joint actually is a joint. There's cartilage on both sides of it, um, but it's a fairly unconstrained joint. Uh, the end of the femur or the thigh bone is really the only bony anatomy that constrains it. And uh, that has a, you know, sort of a crest in it or a V shape that in most people will hold, help hold that in yeah. place, but the rest of it is entirely soft tissue. So the kneecap sits in that groove at the end of your femur. That's correct. For most people. People. Right. Um, we'll get to that a little bit more in a minute. Um, but that's why it's so heavily reliant on the soft tissue attachments around it to keep it tracking in the right place. So you can imagine if any of those are disrupted, that's going to lead to maltracking. But then if it's more severe compromise to the soft tissues, that's how you end up with instability or basically a dysfunctional kneecap joint. Can we define some of the soft tissues we're talking about? Tendons, muscles, ligaments? Yeah, absolutely. So on the north and south, so if we kind of think of this as, uh, we'll, t we'll go cardinal directions for this one. So starting out from the center of the patella. If you work north, that's your quadriceps tendon. If you work south, that's your patellar tendon. If you work to the medial side or closer to midline of the body, that's where you're going to find your medial patellofemoral complex, which is composed of several uh, minute ligaments that we don't have to unpack today. But the MPFL is, or the medial patellofemoral ligament is probably the most well-known yeah. one. Yeah. And then there is a similar complex on the lateral side or the outside of the knee that is yet unnamed. Uh, but there are thickenings of the caps on that side that also help balance the patella. And so in an ideal circumstance, in those four quadrants, you have equal balancing on all sides. When that's not the case, then there are uh, diagnoses for those conditions. Yeah, so we have, we have the kneecap at the, at the knee joint at the end of the femur, and, you know, by its kind of natural design, it, it doesn't have a lot of strong, um, bony right. uh, stability. You, you imagine like a hip. Right, a ball and socket joint where that's a pretty highly Very stable joint. Right, this is the opposite of that. Right, right, and so that's why we see issues with um, our young athletes or, or young people in general having this kneecap maybe not being able to be well controlled in sport uh, or doing some activities, and we can see it, 
you know, we'll use that term, come out, come in, move around essentially uh, more than, than we want it to and maybe cause some damage. That's correct. And I think uh, that, that makes this somewhat hard to define sometimes and why it's a, a point of contention, uh, especially between providers, like what actually is instability and what isn't. Yeah. So let's, let's move there. So we'll, you know, um, patients, parents will hear terms like subluxation and dislocation of the kneecap. Let's talk a little bit about um, that, those kind of terminology. Sure. And I think you can go one step back further where, you know, even the most mildest of forms would be maltracking. Okay. Um, so, that's, so the mildest form would be maltracking, progressing into subluxation, uh, progressing into dislocation where the kneecap actually comes out, hits the outside or lateral side of the thigh bone or the outside of the knee and then goes back in. Um, a subluxation event would be where the patella was headed that direction, but there was something that controlled the event to prevent a formal dislocation. And maltracking usually occurs when people have anatomic uh, differences just about right. their knee that they were typically born with yeah. um, that just make their kneecap uh, not track very yeah. well. Let's, let's talk about this population that, that has a problem with patellar instability or, or a kneecap that's not stable. Right. This is a typically a young population, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Most, of, most of the patients that I see with this complaint are teenagers. Right. Um, on rare occasions, it can be uh, your prepubescent folks who are even under 10. Right. And then it can also progress into adulthood, um, but that also tends to be a little bit more rare. Yeah, so we're talking about young people that have uh, instability in their kneecap, and we talked a little bit about the difference between dislocation and subluxation, and then also tracking. Um, so let's let's move into how do we make a diagnosis? So we have a, a patient that shows up that maybe was playing a sport, maybe they were jumping on the trampoline. I'm anti-trampoline, by the way. I just want to put that out right now. Um, or, or they were running and stopped and cut it, and they, and they had some event at the knee. What do um, what do patients and parents come and tell you about that event typically? Right, and so this is a little bit more of a diagnostic challenge than I think some people are willing to admit because for every patient that comes in where they, you know, were in gym class and then they turned a certain way and they can actually see their kneecap on the outside of their knee. Right. And then it's a big, you know, big event. It's a big deal. Yeah, you know, they have to get transferred downtown and right. they have to go to the emergency room and then they have to put it back or reduce it back into place. Uh, there are people who get injured or patients that get injured and then their knee just swells up really big and they want come in and they just want to know why. Why sure. is my 13, 14-year-old child's knee you know, blown up like a balloon? And you talk to the patient and maybe it happened so fast that they weren't really sure because it went out, went back in pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't always, it doesn't always like smack you in the face as an yeah. obvious diagnosis. Yeah. It's rare that the kneecap is sitting on the outside of, of the thigh looking at you, right? Right, yeah. uh, because it wants to go back. Right. Um, and sometimes people will straighten out their knee out in a moment of panic, and that's the, that's the Clunk, uh, thing that you should do to go back in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you know, how would you know if you had no you know, understanding of the anatomy that that's actually what had happened there? You, know, you just know something kind of, or people say it went out and came back in. You know, they'll kind of say it in uncertain terms. So what do we do? What do you do when the patient tells you that? You're looking at a, you're looking at a knee that is swollen. We talk about this word effusion. Uh, it means fluid inside your knee joint, a swollen knee. We're just going to use that for, for uh, kind of layman's terms there. So you're looking at a patient. They don't really know. Maybe they say it felt like it went in and out. Uh, where do you go from there? I think for me, and we, we touched on this in other pods also, an effusion in a young person 
and in in my hands that's going to be problem. that's going to be an MRI, right? right? Because that tells the the presence of the effusion tells you that something is not going right on the inside of the knee, and if the younger the patient is, that's a higher stakes problem than if you know it's somebody later in life that's yeah. getting these spontaneous effusions, um, especially uh, said another way, a knee that was perfectly fine. And then it was somehow traumatized, and now it has fluid on it. Right. Um, as your provider, you should have a pretty good answer for why that's happening. You know, it gets blamed on a couple innocuous things like growing pains or a bruise or a sprain or things like that. Um, but that's not really a diagnosis, and it's also not really giving you know your other providers a path forward. So if you have, let's say, a 12, 13 year old patient shows up with a knee effusion, kind of pat him on the back and say, "Well, that's probably going to be okay. Let's send you to PT." Right. And I'm done. You, you, you know, you're, you guys have been done no favors either because we don't have a diagnosis to start with. You know, the the first thing that we look at when when a young person comes in and and we're going to sit them at the table and we're going to observe. And the first thing that you see is a swollen knee in a 13, 14 year old. It's now it's a different issue. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not just a sprain strain. Uh, You know, it is something means I have some kind of inside the knee derangement. I have some kind of inside the knee uh, issue that's more significant. So just for par- for parents, a swollen knee in a young person is abnormal, and we need to get a good diagnosis, a good understanding of what's going on there. Yeah, speaking of diagnosis, is there a difference to you, uh, each of you, in reference to an effusion, which would be like by definition swelling from inside the joint versus soft tissue swelling? Because how many of these patellofemoral ligaments are inside the joint versus outside the joint. Yeah, and so the, that's that's a great point. And I'll try not to get too far down the rabbit hole here with this one. But yes, the ligaments that hold the kneecap in place are extra-articular outside the joint. However, the trauma of the dislocation or instability event is what produces the effusion. And especially in a patellar uh, dislocation, these tend to be the largest effusions that you're going to see. They're bigger than a meniscus, bigger than an ACL. They're pretty impressive. And even if you're not sure if this is soft tissue alone or if this is a fusion, almost every time somebody, even, you know, or they're at least going to get an x-ray a lot of times in this setting, especially if they made it to the ER or an orthopedic office. That effusion is present on the x-ray and is usually going to get read by the radiologist. It's a rock star answer. Yeah, so what do we look in? So we, maybe we've taken an x-ray. Is, it, is that all we should do? Uh, take an x-ray. It looks okay. Send them on. Again, for me, if I'm the parent, and especially you know me as a provider, I'm not willing to accept that. Um, If I can't figure it out on an initial exam and an x-ray, then we're going to get advanced imaging. Um, And Again, especially if we have an effusion, I want to know that if we're going to not operatively treat this knee, that down the road that it's actually going to be okay as opposed to an educated guess. Right. Um, Again, the stakes are just higher the younger the patient is. Sure. So what is the MRI... Uh, show you? You know, patients might hear this, parents might hear this and say, okay, I understand, maybe I do need MRI. What, What are you looking for in the MRI? So the MRI, especially in this case, gives me a multitude of information. It tells me uh, it's going to leave behind a bone bruise pattern, um, especially if this is relatively close to the injury. And that bone bruise pattern is going to help tell me, especially when the patient can't, exactly what happened that day. And certainly there have been plenty of times where that patient comes in, the knee is so swollen, so tender, you're not going to get any kind of exam, so you don't really know. 
could be an ACL, could be a meniscus, that MRI is going to help you differentiate from those diagnoses as well, um, especially with that bone bruise pattern. Now, obviously, you can see the anatomic structures also. You can see the patella. You can see the patellofemoral ligaments, the ones that are in question, the ones that are supposed to be doing the job of holding the kneecap in place. You can see your ACL meniscus, and you can, in this case, I'm looking at the cartilage first, uh, because unfortunately, uh, when these patellar dislocations happen, uh, there's a fair amount of patients that will knock off a piece of bone and cartilage that will just float around in the joint. If you catch that soon enough, you can fix it. But if you don't ever know that it's there, then, you know, that, that becomes a much bigger problem. Yes. Right. So, so this is a point where I just want to review again for parents and patients out there. We, the critical thing that we've got to try to find out or diagnose or understand is the cartilage on the underside of the kneecap. Right. That's what we're talking about today as the main issue that we need to diagnose if there's an issue there, if there's a problem, if there's a tear, if there's a piece that we've broken loose when that kneecap moved forcefully, typically to the outside. So we're talking about the underside cartilage at the kneecap, super critical. Yeah, just to circle back to the initial discussion of the anatomy, it is an actual joint. There is cartilage on both sides that unfortunately is very soft and fragile, even in the healthiest of people. And when that patella comes out or goes a place where nature did not want it to go, it can damage that cartilage and the, that's a high stakes injury because if we losing our cartilage, that's the lifespan of your knee. We don't right. get it back. Right. Super important. Okay, so we've got a swollen knee. We've got a, a possible mechanism of that that injury. Uh, we've done an MRI. Um, let's talk about kind of how we initially manage someone who's had a unstable event. Maybe they've now we've we we feel that there's a strong um, chance that they've got some injury to that cartilage uh, there at the kneecap femur joint. Um, what do we do from there? So that you know, this is where it starts to stratify a little bit. When you get the MRI, obviously, you're going to basically end up with three main scenarios. One, this was not a patellar instability event. This was a bone bruise, hyperextension type injury. There's no structural damage to the knee. That's one that you know is going to heal up on its own. You don't, you don't have to do anything scenario. to it. That's yeah. the best yeah. case scenario. And that's, yeah. and that's the exact thing that I tell patients is that this may come back with a series of innocuous bone bruises that there's nothing to do about. It just gives it time. But again, that's what the MRI is for is to give you the confidence knowing that going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're going to look again at your cartilage. Either this is going to be somebody who had a pretty traumatic injury, we've damaged the cartilage, that is far more likely to be a scenario where it's going to need surgery because it's, especially if they have what we call a loose body or a floating piece of bone and cartilage in the joint, that, that is not an acceptable uh, pathway yeah. for Can't just say, leave that alone. Yeah, exactly. Let's just see how this does. All right. We, we know what the answer to that is and it's not good. Um, but uh, a fair amount of times, and uh, the numbers on this in the literature are just all over the place, anywhere from 8% all the way up to 50% of patients that don't have a cartilage injury but just have an anatomy, uh, an anatomical factor that we we can see on the MRI, which predisposed them for this to happen. And those are most likely going to be your ones you're going to be non-operatively treating. Because the reason they dislocated or had an instability event is because the knee that they were born with that didn't quite form in a way that it constrains the patella is just more likely to dislocate. So if that dislocates atraumatically without a cartilage injury, without any other structural injury to the knee, that's a patient that you're typically going to start off with non-operative treatment. Van, I'd like to bring you in here and talk a little bit about kind of how we as physical therapists are treating and managing that patient with some patellar instability. Um, you know, we let's just move to the gut and the butt, uh, the hip and the core. 
what what are you looking at and what are you assessing and 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 how are you want to move these folks along yeah i think the you know first off two big things to understand for for the patients and, and the parents out there too is anytime that you have an injury you know, especially to your knee, your muscle is going to shut off, or especially your quad, and there's a fancy term called arthrogenic muscle inhibition. So that means that your quadriceps muscle just really goes, goes to sleep, sleep right? right? And there's, so there's you know some research out there that says that it, it can shut off up to like 75%. Yeah. So now we're operating hopefully at around 25% of a quad. Um, and then also, you know, from your, your stabilization, you know, like Doc was talking about, you know, you, the ligaments, right, and the muscles, when he talked about the soft tissue stuff, your muscles are going to be defense number one, right? When they fail, then the ligaments, right, are defense number two. And when that, you know, load is too much, then the ligament can only handle so much and that kneecap, right? Heads out. Ha- it, it gets out of town. Um, so just understanding that, you know, the strength um, and the ability of, of the body to be able to absorb force, you know, as an athlete or as a, you know, whatever activity you're doing is really important, um, you know, for to decrease your risk of injury in, in general. Yeah. So, and that all starts, you know, kind of from the core down. Right. Um, so the, you know, down. the ability to control your, your pelvis and your spine is, is really important um, in you know, your hip, if you can't move well through your hip, then you're going to be compromised in other places. So, and, and specifically talking about like that, like your your hip being able to rotate internally and externally, so move inside that socket. Um, you know, what happens at that thigh bone, that femur, that, that goes down and then that's where your knee is. And right. so, if we're having issues there and we can't load well or move well into that hip, which is a big joint, then we're putting more stress and pressure on the right. knee, which is a smaller joint. Yeah, if, if you can't control the hip, correct, your knee has no control. Right, right. And we're not talking mobility in the sense of like, ooh, I have tight hips. We're talking active ability to use right. all the mobility that you do have. Because most of these individuals are very mobile. Right. In fact, some of the people who are probably more predisposed to this are our hypermobile patients right. who have naturally lax ligaments lax, like looser, not as tight. And then look, we're not even talking about the hormonal changes that are happening in this population right. where you know people are going through adolescence and puberty and what that does to the body. So we're talking active mobility, how yeah. to control those things with your muscles. And so like what Caleb was talking about is, you know, these patients a lot of times are very flexible, right? But not very, their mobility is not good. And so what we mean by that is the flexibility is, is the passive motion. So the the ability of that joint to, for somebody to move it for you or for the ground to, to basically move it for you. But when we try to make your muscles do it or control forces, they're not, they don't do well. Um, and so, you know, they might be able to have a ton of motion in their hip when we assess them on the table and move their hip around. But then when we watch them squat, they can't squat to 90 right. degrees. Right. Um, and so, and that is a, that's not a tightness issue. That is a strength issue, yeah. right? A motor control issue. We, we talk a lot about <clears throat> neuromuscular control, Correct. right? And, and you just mentioned how after uh, an injury to the to patella here, an instability injury, and we have some swelling, the nerve and the muscle become a real problem, right? right? We lose a lot of that neural input to the muscle. And so our neuromuscular control is poor. And this is what we're really trying to reestablish. And so to get that better, especially early on, we've got to control the swelling, get the swelling better, get the range of motion to come back to normal, get the quad to turn back on. 
and then you can start you know to progress into to your more return to sport things and you know get more aggressive with your your strengthening you know when that need when that environment is better and happier so a way to resummarize what we're talking about from a conservative management approach with the PT is we're trying to re-educate maybe how you move recognizing that this injury may have been caused by being a quad dominant individual who uses and moves and and shuffles through their thigh muscle primarily because the core and hip aren't working. If your dynamic stability, your, your muscular control was not up to the task, your static stabilizers, your ligaments are going to be stressed, maybe beyond the point of ability, and that's where these injuries come from. So we're, we're trying to re-educate how yeah. you move. Yeah, parents, we're talking about a an injury that happens in this young athlete population, and we believe 100% that there's too much of an emphasis on repetitive skill development and not an emphasis out there on core strengthening, hip strengthening, proper movement patterns. So Big to, problem. To touch on that, you know, if you look at, at a you know, training spectrum, right, and, and at the top of that is going to be your sport, right? That's the highest specificity of your training. Well, especially today, right, and I – see this a lot with athletes and I know that, that Dr. Wilson does too is that our you know these athletes these kids they're spending the vast majority of their time at the top of that spectrum and they're not developing anything in the bottom of that spectrum so your your stability your strength your mobility none of those things really develop because we're spending all our time on the soccer field or the basketball court or the lacrosse field or the baseball field um, and then, like Luke, like you said, just that repetitiveness over and over and over again, right. other things get left out. Right. And those things are the important things that help decrease our risk of injury. Yeah. I want to bring in Alan Iverson here. So are we talking about, <laughs> talking about practice? practice? Practice. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice. practice right. <laughs> Dr. Wilson, are we seeing an uptick in the amount of these patellar instability injuries um, do you feel like that that is it's a more common issue that we're seeing because of 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 more kind of youth sports activities or not not necessarily no I mean this has been a problem since needs yeah. are being made yeah. um, I think the the issue is just the diagno- initial diagnosis and treatment um, and, I, and I can just speak from you know my own experience uh, practicing here we get a lot more initial dislocations now than we did when I first started um, almost everybody that came in initially was a recurrent dislocator, mm. three, four, five, sometimes too numerous to count wow. uh, dislocations. And obviously that's going to get treated much differently than somebody who's in there for an initial injury. And so I think it boils down to doing things like this is really just spreading information, um, just making sure that people know the importance of an effusion and what to do with it next. And I think you're going to end up with a lot more successful non-operative treatment that way if yeah. you can get an early intervention in that setting before this becomes a story that's yeah. also somewhat common where somebody has that injury, is seen, maybe not diagnosed, or maybe is never seen at all. Doesn't, we, yeah, yeah, and a week later, we're back on the field. Yeah, right? we, two weeks later, back on the field, and dislocation happens again, and now we are no longer somebody with a history of a patella dislocation. We are now a recurrent dislocator, and unfortunately, that puts you in a very different basket in the eyes of the surgeon. Yeah, yeah I was going to say... Give a little teaser. We're obviously not talking surgical consideration, but what does the research say when that dislocation subluxation turns into two, turns into three?
three turns into four. And so again, back to your initial question, how common is this? This is a common enough problem. We have a lot of good data on it, like very large number studies. So the num you can trust the numbers on this one. You know, not not every uh, diagnosis in orthopedics is that way. Sure. This is one of those. Sure. So after an initial dislocation, and again, there's a lot of other factors in, in consideration sure. here. But if you're just taking all comers, you're about 50-50 chance that you're going to dislocate again or not. Obviously, you're going to have a much less better chance of not dislocating again if you make an initial diagnosis and get into early treatment and don't end up as the one who's back on the field yeah. two weeks later. Once that patella has come out a second time, it is 90 plus percent that it will yeah. continue to yeah. dislocate. And that's why there's a difference in surgical indication or basically who should probably be offered surgery sure. and who should not um, at this time. Point. So, so let's just let's wrap it right there with the really significant importance of making a good diagnosis here early. Uh, let's make sure that we are paying good attention uh, and treating this adolescent with a swollen knee carefully and slowly. Um, let's not give in to the push to the quick return to sport. It's a little bit of an epidemic in both of our worlds as orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists, and we need to make sure that we really get this right early. Uh, gentlemen, any closing thoughts on patellar instability? Oh, I just love what you said there, and you know, taking this slowly, monitoring the swelling, because what none of us want is recurrent dislocations or cartilage injuries. Right, and if we can keep tabs on that, that's going to be really helpful for your knee. Not only now in return to sport, but when you're 30, 40, 50, 60, for sure. and don't have all these arthritic changes to your cartilage because you just tried to get back too quick. And speaking on the return to sport, you know, like y'all said, going back too quick. I mean, these athletes should not be getting back on the field until they demonstrate that they can absorb force with their landing and cutting in a controlled environment. Right, so in the clinic. All right, before they get out in an uncontrolled environment, which would be the playing field. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much. Great work.